He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So those are some claims, some of the claims that the early Christians made. Um, So in other words, they believed that Jesus was more than just a great teacher. They believed he was more than um, just a smart guy, an upstanding citizen, a good guy. They made some pretty radical claims about Jesus. In fact, you might even say some ridiculous claims. Now, if you're here and uh, you're a Christian, then that means you've bought into these claims. You said, okay, Jesus is these things. I believe these things about Jesus. And if that's the case, it changes your world, right? It gives you the focus. It gives you a lens. It gives you a worldview on how to see life, on how to understand life. But if you're here and you're here just hanging out, just kind of coming, not real sure about this Jesus fellow, then you might think, okay, this is bogus, This is just ridiculous, these things about Jesus, and that's okay. I'm glad you're here. You're welcome here. This is a great community. This is a great group of people, a good place to make relationships. But if you are here and you think these things are a little ridiculous, let me give you a reason as to why you should at least listen to what the early Christians claimed about Jesus. Two reasons. One, Jesus was a real person. Right? Whether you, you, you believe he's the son of God or not, you can't argue that there was a human being named Jesus and he was from Nazareth. That is historically true. From secularists to Christians, it's true across the board. So there was somebody named Jesus. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, if you look over the last 2,000 years, there is, I, I would challenge you to find someone who has had more impact on the world, on, on people's lives, on culture, than Jesus Christ. We define time, whether you believe in him or not, based on his birth, right? This is 2015 A.D., which is Latin for in the year of the Lord, the year that Jesus was born. We determine time by his birth. Um, Las Cruces, right? Spanish for the crosses, which is a reference to the three crosses that were at Galgotha when Jesus was crucified. There are more cities, more countries, more places named after Jesus and his followers than any other person in history or than any other religion. Orphanages, hospitals, the Red Cross, those are all results of Jesus' followers. And the reason they started those things was because they were trying to live out what Jesus taught. 
In other words, Jesus has had a pretty amazing impact over the last 2,000 years. So whether you believe in him or not, I think he's at least earned the right to be heard, for these claims to be heard. And maybe, maybe the reason he's had such an impact is because there's some truth to these claims. But if not, even if you don't believe that, I think you're going to come away thinking, you know what, there's, there's some, your appreciation for Jesus is going to grow and is going to increase. So we don't have time to look at all these claims here that you just heard in that video. So I'm going to pick one, and I'm going to look at one of those claims tonight. But before we do that, um, I'm not Nat Shock, as Tyler said. I'm actually his taller, better-looking older brother. So, okay, that's not all true. I'm not his brother, and I'm not taller. There you go. There you go. Um, no, Matt, as he said, he's helping uh, the Sea Valley Christian win a state championship, so I'm pretty sure that's going to happen on Saturday. So we're excited and rooting for them. Um, Matt's the campus minister here. If you don't know, you get, need to get to know him. He is a great, fantastic guy, um, and we're glad that he is uh, leading our campus ministry here at UCC. I'm Charlton. I'm the preaching minister. Um, and so I just want you to know I love college students, and I love that we have AFC, and we count you as a part of our church and if you don't come on Sunday morning, I would encourage you to come because uh, this church loves you. The old people over there, they love you. Uh, they give a lot for you because they believe in this program and they believe in what's happening here. They believe in this time in your life. Um, AFC is a great place. Um, AFC believes in the Bible because the Bible points you to Jesus. And that's what they're after. AFC is after pointing you to Christ. And they do that in several ways. One way is this. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, you come, you worship, you listen, you connect with each other. That's one way we point you to Jesus. Another way, uh, community groups throughout the week. Uh, you got a girls group and a guys group that meet, have a Bible study together. That's another way to do that. Sunday morning, 1030 worship. Uh, that's another way we encourage you to connect to Christ. And then coffee dates is the last one. By coffee dates, I found out here they don't mean like going and being romantic and staring in each other's eyes. What they mean is actually going with somebody and talking about Christ and life and those kinds of things. So there's a lot of different ways that we try to point you to Christ at AFC here. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll get into this idea, one of these claims about Jesus of Nazareth. Father, we thank you for tonight. Thankful that we can be here. Thankful that we can um, approach you the, today without shame, without guilt, because Jesus has redeemed us and saved us. God, uh, we lean into uh, that power today, the power of the resurrected Christ, to know that the current state of things is not the final state of things, that you are making all things new, and that gives us hope, that gives us encouragement. God, use um, the spirit that has come from your resurrection to give me the gift of preaching tonight and to give us hearts that will listen and adapt to your message as you share it with us. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray, amen. These claims uh, about Jesus are recorded in a letter that was written in the first century by a guy named Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament, and uh, it was written to a church in Colossae. Uh, it was a new group of Christians, and he writes to them, and actually some scholars think that Paul actually didn't make up these words in Colossians chapter 1, but he's actually quoting a hymn that the early Christians sang. So that's what some people think. And so what, but the reason he's writing to this church in Colossae is they begin to doubt whether Jesus is enough. You see, there's this Jewish influence, and they're beginning to wonder if Jesus is enough because the Jews, Jewish influence is saying Jesus isn't enough because Jesus can't save you. He's a great teacher. He's a great prophet, but he can't save you. And Jesus can't define you as the people of God. He can't claim you as God's holy people. He can't make you holy, and he can't make you God's people. That's done by the Old Testament law. The law is what keeps you holy before God, and the Old Testament law is what defines you as the people of God. And so Paul writes this to say, really, that's a bunch of bull crap. That's why he writes Colossians. To tell that church that's not true at all. Jesus is enough. And here's how he, so he begins saying it this way. 
chapter, uh, verse 15 of chapter 1 in Colossians. He says, the Son, this is Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish, free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I, Paul, have become a servant. And so Paul tells the Colossians, here's the thing, Jesus is enough because Jesus has the same portfolio as God has. Jesus has the same work experience as God has. And that's what he does in this hymn. He says, first of all, Jesus is enough because he is God. And the next verse, Jesus is enough because he is the creator like God. And then he gets, but what I want to talk about tonight is the third thing Paul says. He says, Jesus is enough because he is the sustainer. Look at verse 17 again. He says, Christ is before all things. And then he says this, and in Jesus, all things hold together. All things hold together. Paul says, Jesus sustains creation. Jesus sustains creation. Not only did Jesus make everything, not only was everything made through Christ, but he keeps, he creates the space for life to exist. And if he walked away, if he gave up, if he turned his back, life would cease to exist. Creation would crumble in on itself. And he does this. He connects Jesus with God for a reason. Because the Colossians and the Jewish influence there had no doubt that God was supreme. They had the utmost respect for God. They knew that God was a sustainer. And so, Jesus, so they knew that God was the one who kept chaos from taking over again, who created the space for life to exist. Not only created, but sustains life. But in order to understand this, we've got to step into the mind of an ancient Near Eastern Israelite. So I want us to do that. The, 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 uh, this, when you read the Bible, we think with modern science minds, right? The scientific revolution has happened. We, we, you know, we know all about science. The Bible, the writers of the Bible had no clue. There were thousands of years, this was thousands of years before science was even invented. So they did not know that the earth orbited around the sun. They did not know other planets orbited around the sun. They, did not, they had no idea what the Milky Way was. They had no idea of these things. They could gather, all, the way they, con, they came to understand the universe was by how they observed it. So you're going to see a picture on the screen here of, of what the universe, their understanding of the universe. So when you read the Bible, this is the, the mindset that they're coming from. You've got up in the heavens, you've got God's temple. This is where God lives, right, above everything. And then you've got these two bodies of water. You've got the upper wa waters, waters above the firmament. You've got waters below the firmament, named the sea. So you've got these two bodies of water. And then you've got this thing called the firmament, which is a really weird word, or the dome, right? You may have heard that if you've grown up in church, this idea of the firmament or the dome. This is what keeps these waters from crashing in over the world. See where it says earth there? Over the world. 
So it's that dome where the stars and the moon are inside that dome. Sometimes God lets water leak through the dome. We call that rain. Sometimes you see, uh, you see cracks of this water from beneath the earth coming in. You call that springs or rivers, right? So this is all this water. And, and water was a source of fear and chaos for the ancient mind, right? If you've ever been on the ocean in a storm, you understand why. See, they thought that the ocean went on forever, they thought that it sailed on forever and that it was the abyss. Anytime you're in the Old Testament and you see the word deep or abyss or waters, that's what it's talking about. It's talking about these waters above and below. And what Israel believed was that God kept these waters at bay. That he kept these waters at bay. And if he ever let go, if he ever walked away, if he ever became disinterested, if he ever turned his back on creation, these waters would take over again and wipe out life as it exists today destroy all of creation. Now with that in mind, let's go back to Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, and it's going to help us understand a little bit about creation according to the mind of the Israelite. So this is Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over, here's that word, the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So what Israel's saying at the beginnings, if you close... If you close those two, if we can go back to that picture, if you close those two gaps of water, that's how it was in the beginning. There was nothing but water. And God is hovering over the chaos. God is hovering over the disorder. Now look at Genesis um, chapter, uh, verses 6 and 6 through 8. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And so what God does here in the second day of creation is he pushes the waters apart. And we get that dome that creates the space for life to thrive and exist. That's how they understood it. Now look at verses 9 and 10. And God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let the dry ground appear. That's that middle section called earth. And it was so. God called the dry ground land, and the gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And so you begin to understand, when you understand how they viewed the world, you begin to understand what they're saying in Genesis. And so what Israel came to believe was not only that God created by separating the chaos to create a space for life to exist, but God actually kept those waters from breaking back in. That allows life to continue. God not was only the creator, but the sustainer. In Psalm 104, he sings. In Psalm 104, they sing this song about God as a sustainer. And it refers to these waters, these chaotic waters that surround the creation of God. Listen to this, Psalm 104, 6 through 9. He says, you, God, covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains, but at your rebuke the waters fled. At the sound of the thunder they took flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. And so Israel believed that it was God who had the reins on chaos. And as long as there was no chaos, right, he's the one who set the boundaries, then life could exist. But if God ever let go, if God ever turned his back, if God ever got tired, if God ever gave up and walked away, then those chaotic waters would come back again and wipe out life and wipe out creation, annihilate it. So that gives you a perspective on the flood. You know the story of Noah in the big boat? Right? When we think about it, we think of a flood, the floods that we've experienced, what we know from science, right, about a flood. But to the ancient Israel mind, you know what happened? God did this, and those waters came back and wiped out creation. 
wiped it out. And then Paul says to this group of Colossians that is wondering, is Jesus enough? He says, no, no, no. This idea of the sustainer of this God who, who creates this space for life to exist, that's Jesus. He says Jesus is the one. Life thrives because Jesus holds back the waters of chaos. He's the one who does that. He's the one that creates a space for life to thrive. All life is dependent upon Jesus. If Jesus retreats, if he grows tired, if he backs away, then life is over. Creation caves in on itself, and that's all she wrote. And if that's true, if Jesus is the sustainer, then Nike's wrong. Nike's wrong. You're not fierce. You're not strong. You're not that great as an individual. Because if Jesus is the sustainer, it means at our most basic level, you and I are dependent. We are dependent creatures. Our existence and our life depends upon the grace and the love of Jesus. There's only one reason sin hasn't completely destroyed our world, one reason the world hasn't caved in on itself, one reason the waters of chaos haven't, hasn't returned is because Jesus refused to let it. Jesus refused to let our own sin destroy us, and that's the only reason we're alive today, because Jesus is the sustainer. And if that's true, if Jesus is the sustainer, and if we are dependent upon him, then there's a couple things from that that we should probably take home with us. The first is this. You don't know best. You don't know the best way to live your life. I don't know the best way to live my life. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need his teachings. That's why we need his, his example. Because he knows how to live the best life. But we don't always understand that, right? Like we think Jesus knows a lot about angels and demons and church and halos and wings and in the Bible. Jesus knows a lot about that. He didn't know anything about sex and economics and love and, and parenting. He doesn't know. Like if Jesus came down here, he would wear like pleated pants because he just doesn't get it. You know what I'm talking about? Like he's just out of touch with the world. That's kind of how we picture Jesus. But if he is the sustainer, if he really is the sustainer of life, how absurd is that of us to think we know how to live life better than Jesus does. It reminds me of this commercial with uh, Jim Gaffigan. Gauze. Uh, so much stuff in there. <sighs> Who'd have thought being a doctor would be this hard? Everyone, Dr. Gaffigan? Can you help me spread this around so it looks like we did something? Can you put your finger there? Okay. I'm just kidding. That does nothing. That's his heart. That's... Ugh. That guy, he probably didn't have a chance. He was filled with blood already. Okay, you know what? You can sew him up, but he's probably... I'm just going to get my friend. He loves doing this part, so I'm just going to... Hey, uh, did anyone stay in a Holiday Inn Express last night? Stay smart. Stay at a Holiday Inn Express. So Jim Gafkin is a comedian, great comedian. And it'd be like him walking in and telling the surgeon, hey, let me do this. Uh, let me wiggle this thing here, this steak-looking thing. Let's move that, see what's behind it. Like going in and telling the expert, the trained expert, the professional, this is how you do it. It's absurd. But that's how it is with Jesus, that somehow we think we know how to live life better than Jesus does. 
But if he is the sustainer of life, not just the creator of it, but he's the one who sustains it and we're dependent upon him, then he knows how to live the best life. He knows what life should look like. Not us. He knows better than we know. And here's the thing. Not only, even when it sounds weird, it means he, he really knows what's best. Even when it sounds weird or even when we wish it was different or even when we hoped it was different, it still doesn't matter. What he says is going to be most true. What he says is going to be best because he is the sustainer of life. King Solomon was the second king of Israel. He goes down as one of the richest, most popular, I mean, uh, richest, wisest guys in history. Um, he was a player too. He had 300 wives, had 1,000 ladies in his harem. I mean, that's a lot of ladies. That's kind of crazy actually. Um, and he writes this book called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is a book where Solomon pretty much says, look, I've done it all. Anything you want to do, I've done it. Sex, done it. Parties, done it. Money, psh, billions. Power, got it. I've done everything you, Everything that you think is going to make a great life, I've done it. I've got the t-shirt. I've hashtagged it. I've done it all. You know, I've done the whole thing. He'll, that's, that's the story of Ecclesiastes. And then he gets down to the very end. Ecclesiastes chapter 13. And here's what he says. After doing everything you and I want to do, he says this. Chapter 12, verse 13. He says, now all has been heard. Here's the conclusion of the matter. I've done everything. I've done it all. Here's the conclusion. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the duty of every human being. He says, you know what? I should have stuck with God from the beginning. All that, eh, didn't, didn't matter. Didn't measure up. I should have stuck with what God said from the beginning. And so when Jesus talks, it means we listen. And we take what he says seriously, even if it seems backwards. Because really, maybe going backwards is going forward. Because maybe our world's so upside down. So when Jesus says crazy things like love your enemies, which is asinine, I mean, love your enemies, really? Have you ever heard that anywhere else, love your enemies, besides Jesus? That's a crazy idea. He says love your enemies. He says if you want to be first, if you want to get to the top, if you want to climb to the top of the corporate ladder, go to the bottom. Be the least. He says, you know what you need to do? If you really want to be my student, you've got to deny yourself. You ever hear that in culture? In our world? He says, life does not consist of the abundance of your possessions. It's a quote from Jesus. He doesn't live in America, does he? That's how we measure success. Isn't that why we're in college? To get a degree, to get the money, to accumulate the stuff? All right, life does consist about how much we have. All right, at least the powerful people in our culture, that's the idea. Does Jesus know what he's talking about? He says, you need to serve the poorest people. The people on the margins, the people who can't really even thank you, the people who can't pay you back, the people who nobody else notices, that's who you serve. And he says, oh, and you need to wash the feet of the people who are about to stab you in the back. This guy's crazy. But his crazy is the real sanity. Because he's the sustainer. Because he's the sustainer. So here's a strategy. Maybe you've got a big decision coming up. Should I date this guy? Should I date this girl? Should I get engaged to this girl? Should I transfer college? Should I take this job? Should I get a master's? You've got all these decisions. Should I move? Should I buy this car? Should I buy this house? Should I move in with this roommate? I mean, what should I? You have all these decisions. Most of the time, like, hmm, we, we Bon Jovi it. You're probably too young to know who Bon Jovi is. That's okay. You're not missing much. But he has this song, you know, It's My Life. You know, it's my life. 
I'm not going to sing because I'm a horrible singer. But he sings, and that's the kind of thing about it. Yeah, I'm going to do what I want because I know what's best. That's what the world says. But if Jesus is the sustainer, maybe a better strategy is to find someone who you, who you see really pursuing Jesus and you sit down with them and you say, hey, look, here's the decisions before me. Help me think through this with the Jesus perspective. With the Jesus perspective. Or you get a group of three or four people who you know are pursuing Jesus. You say, look, I, I'm thinking about, think about this. I'm thinking about dating this person. Can you give me a Jesus perspective on that? That's a radical idea. But if Jesus really is a sustainer, isn't that the right way to go? To do what he says? Because he does know best. The second thing, if Jesus is a sustainer and we're dependent upon him, that means you need help. You need help and I need help. See, part of the American dream is if you work hard, if you try hard enough, you can get it. Whatever it is, you can get it. But that's baloney. All right? We're not that strong individually. We need help. We are made to be dependent. And guys, we're the worst. Like there's something like that men don't ever need to ask for help. Right? Like, we don't even go to the doctor. Like, eh, it's going to heal us. Your arm is falling off. Yeah, all right, it'll be okay. Like, we don't need to go get things, like, because we can handle it on our own. My oldest son kind of makes fun of that when I tell him to put a coat on. He's like, I don't need a coat. I'm like, it's cold outside. Put your coat on. He's like, I'm a man. That's what he says. Like, somehow that makes it easy. You know, he's going to, like, vibrate his pectoral muscles and create enough heat to stay warm or something. You know? Like, he's, we just kind of poking fun at the culture, right? But somehow we think we can take care of it on our own. But just think about life, right? Life is conceived in community. Right? You don't make babies by yourself. If that's confusing to you, the interns will answer that when we're done here. <laughs> but you don't, you, right? Life is conceived in community. It takes a community to, it takes a relationship to conceive life. And then think about it. When a baby is born, especially before we had formula, the baby's only means of survival was to be physically connected to the mother while nursing in order to live. You talk about dependent, that's dependent. Our babies can't do anything. They need help. Now fast forward to the end of your life. We're going we're gonna to need people to help us get dressed. We're going to need people to help us get around. Eventually, we're going to need people to help, to help feed us and probably change us. And that sounds horrible. But maybe the beginning and the end of life make clear what is true of all of life, and that is that we are dependent people, that we need help. Because at a basic level, we are dependent. We are dependent upon Jesus, the sustainer. So those of you who think you're supposed to shoulder everything on your own, you're wrong. Here's a little statement. Asking for help is a sign of weakness which means it's also a universal human need because every human being is weak. Asking for help is a sign of weakness. That is true, which means it's a universal human need because every human being is weak. Every human being needs help. So if you're here tonight and you're, you're carrying a decision or you're carrying a sin or you're carrying a burden or you're carrying stress and anxiety, don't bear that alone. Don't be like, I got this. You don't have it. That's what this community is for. That's what prayer is for. That's what Jesus is for. He's the sustainer. And if he's the sustainer, it means we're dependent upon him and we're dependent upon his community. So you don't have it. You don't got this tonight. So what we're going to do here in a minute, we're going to sing another song. During this song, if, if you've got something you need to get off your shoulders, a weight you need to get rid of, just remember Jesus is the sustainer. The interns will be at the back to pray with you. I'll go back there as well. We'd love to pray with you if you have any need. Let's pray. 
Uh, let's go ahead and stand and let's pray, and then uh, worship band will lead us in one more song. God, it's so easy to think that uh, in our free will and our ability to choose that somehow we dictate whether we are alive or dead. But in reality, we know that the only reason there is a space for life to exist is because of your love and your grace. That you hold back the chaos and the disorder. That you hold back all that is, all that could destroy everything. God, we're thankful that you haven't let our sin completely destroy this creation. That you continue to redeem and to change and to mend and to shape. God, if there's anyone here who has a burden or pressure or suffering or a choice to make or just some anxiety or a sin they're carrying, God, help them not to shoulder that alone. Help them know this is a safe place. Help them know all of us here are dependent upon Christ. And God, we just pray that as we worship and as we pray together that you will be exalted and lifted up. In Christ's name I pray, amen.